this is the most amazing experience. I haven't been able to eat meat in about 20 years because she gets such bad acid reflux and just upset stomach, heartburn, the whole nine from products that she's been able to buy locally. Um, so she just gave up on it. She stopped trying to eat anything that was of protein of meat, like just all together. And she called back and she said, this was amazing. I cooked it up and I didn't, I didn't feel nauseous when I was cooking it from the smell. Like it smelled the way that it used to smell when I was a kid. And that made my heart so happy. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Art of Living Well podcast. I cannot believe it's already the end of October and you know what that means, right? The fun and festive holiday season is here, starting with Halloween this weekend, followed by Thanksgiving, New Year's Eve, and all of the fun holidays in between. Marnie and I both love this time of year, and we're really excited to hopefully have social gatherings again and spend more time with family and friends than we were able to last year. We also know that it's easy to get off track during this busy time of year and lose many of our good habits and our intentions that we want to keep. So wouldn't you love to join a supportive community with other like-minded women to help you stay on track and keep motivated to keep up with your good habits and also try some new tips and techniques? We really believe that motivation and a supportive community can help you keep true to yourself and your health goals, which is why we are so excited to kick off our 30-day Thrive during the holiday season program. We created this amazing and supportive community last year and had such a wonderful group of women who really did thrive during what can be a challenging and often stressful time of year. This year's program will kick off on November 8th and run for 30 days. You can get more details on what the program entails by heading over to our show notes and clicking the link. But I just want to share what a couple of our clients said from last year's program. I would recommend the 30-Day Holiday Thrive Program to anyone who wants to help focus on his or her wellness goals, be it nutrition, meal planning, exercise, meditation, self-care, and a very supportive environment. Another participant said, the support was very helpful. The group chat was so fun, and I really enjoyed seeing all the great things that the other participants were doing. It was so inspiring. I loved the recipes, and I looked forward to them each week. The weekly check-ins were also really helpful. I very much felt supported by Marnie and Stephanie. It was helpful to hear that they have the same struggles, and even though they may be further along on their path to wellness, the work of eating right, sleeping, moving is a daily goal for all of us. So we would love to have you join our supportive and amazing community over the holiday season and 
reach out if you have any questions, click the link in the show notes to sign up. And we look forward to creating this space for you guys to thrive during the holiday season. We also would love for you guys to head on over to Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode, please leave us a rating and review. It takes just two minutes and it really helps us reach more people so that others can benefit from our inspiring conversations and resources that we share each week. We are super excited to introduce today's guests. Carly and Cody of Ten Creek Range by Stony Creek Farm, which is in Redwood Falls, Minnesota, not too far from the Twin Cities. Carly and Cody are leading the regenerative farming movement in Minnesota and have been trained by top experts in the field. Stony Creek Farm has received numerous awards for conservation and regenerative farming methods, and they strive to continue to improve the health of their soil in their cropping operation and pastures. The farm runs on the principle that they can bring the best beef, pork, and poultry to their customers, all while improving the soil health and water quality and we just love their dedication, their mission, and values. We know that many of you may not have heard of regenerative agriculture before, and just know that you're not alone. This is a topic that I only recently became passionate about, so you'll want to tune into this episode because you're going to learn all about what this farming practice is and why it's critical to the health of our planet and human health, as well as helping to reduce global warming. You will be fascinated to learn about how traditional farming practices like tilling are killing the microbiology in our soil, resulting in nutrient deficiency. Cody and Carly talk about this and explain that even though we may be eating organic produce and meat, that we're not getting the essential nutrients that our bodies need to thrive from the foods we're eating, that our ancestors used to. Ten Creek Range by Stony Creek Farm are pioneers within their farming community, and they've already seen tremendous benefits both for their animals, the soil, and their environment since switching to regenerative farming practices. This episode will enlighten and inspire you to seek out a regenerative farmer in your area, regardless of where you live in the world, and to do your part by voting with your dollars. We have so much power in our hands as consumers that directly impact the current state of our global environment and the health and well-being of each and every one of us. Cody and Carly give simple and effective analogies and tips and strategies that each of us can do to help leave our planet better for future generations. And they offer so much hope to a situation that can seem overwhelming and insurmountable. One startling statistic that I recently learned is that the United Nations estimates that we only have about six decades of topsoil left. This means only 60 harvests left due to desertification, which we talk about with Cody and Carly today. But don't despair. This episode is really filled with a lot of hope and inspiration for each and every one of us. Cody and Carly are real people who are working in genuine ways to reverse climate change And their passion for regenerative farming and educating and inspiring others comes through loud and clear in today's conversation. So with that, let's dive right in to this episode with Carly and Cody from Ten Creek Range by Stony Creek Farms. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Good Health Sauna. It's time to relax, rejuvenate, and renew. Everybody wants to feel better. Everybody wants to be healthy and happy. 
Good Health Saunas is proud to provide top-of-the-line infrared saunas that deliver the most impactful results for overall health and wellness. Infrared saunas produce penetrating heat to help you sweat and heal your body from the inside. Sweating on a regular basis can help you feel amazing. Numerous studies have been done to show the power of infrared sauna use to help you sweat. Health benefits of regular sauna use may include detoxification, immune system support, muscle repair, chronic pain relief, relaxation, deeper sleep, and so much more. There are a lot of reasons people buy Good Health Sauna. I just recently bought one at the Minnesota State Fair and I am loving it so far. From the moment of purchase to the delivery and setup, Good Health Sauna staff have been amazing. They answered all my questions and they did a fabulous job with the installation. I look forward to my new evening routine where I take a 30 to 40 minute sauna before I shower and go to bed. And I love how relaxed I feel and more importantly, how I am adding to my overall health and happiness. And best of all, it's a great way to remove toxins from my body daily. Good Health Sauna provides commercial grade infrared saunas for in-home and commercial use. Backed up with the best warranty in the industry, lifetime guarantee, and unmatched customer service. They have three stores, one at the Mall of America in Minnesota and two in Wisconsin, Appleton and Waukesha. For more information and to purchase online, go check out your special offer at www.goodhealthsaunas.com slash the art of living well. Hi, Carly and Cody. We are so excited to have you both as guests on our podcast today. Marnie and I have been wanting to have a local farmer on our show for a long time. And when I discovered you through Ben Lieber's podcast and then started buying your meat and your eggs this summer, I just knew we had to have you guys on our show. And thank you so much for carving out time, which I'm sure is your busiest time of year as we um, approach the end of August. And we're just excited for this conversation today. So welcome. Yes. Thank you guys for having us. We appreciate just getting to have a conversation with you guys. Yeah. Um, so everyone has a story and we would love for you guys to share your journey of how you both became farmers and specifically how you got into regenerative farming. I'll let you start and then I'll jump in. Um, I in. <laughs> so I grew up on a family farm. I'm the fifth generation. I have, we're raising the sixth on the farm here now. Um, and it's been a lifetime dream of mine to be a farmer and continue doing what my dad and grandpa grew up doing. Um, so I was pretty much dead set on being a farmer and I met Cody and pretty much everything after that has been just a learning curve and trying to get everything shifted in a direction that's going to be profitable and regenerative for us and our little ecosystem here. Yeah. And, and for me, it was a little bit different. I grew up just in small town Redwood Falls and I was an auto mechanic for the better half of a decade. And then, then I met Carly and I started getting dragged out to the farm and we <laughs> kind of, I kind of just got thrown into a piece of equipment and started farming with them and learning. Um, but the last four years have been a real big eye opener for me as someone that does not come from a farming background at all. And we always tell people like one of my biggest moments was when I was buying food from in town, um, just regular beef from the store. And Carly was pretty repulsed by what I was getting from the store. 
So she started bringing out the beef that her family raises and it was such an obvious difference in the food. So that for me was obviously there's something different that can be done. And that really triggered, you know, what they're actually doing out at their farm. I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want to learn it. I want to be able to pass that information on to other people. And that's how we kind of jumped into 10 Creek range to be able to bring this stuff. Like you said, coming to summer and buying our beef and our eggs and being able to get those healthy products out to people has been a great this last few years. And that in and of itself, him buying hamburger from the store and bringing that home, that was an eye-opening experience for me as well, because I grew up on the farm. We went to the freezer and brought out good beef all the time. I never realized what a luxury that was in and of itself, like entirely blind to that until I left the farm and moved to town with him. Um, and that kind of spurred my initial desire to bring this to everyone. Like I want everyone in every community to have the opportunity to buy from someone that they can call on the cell phone. They know the transparency of the operation. You know, there's no middleman and there's no question. I love your story. And I, I think that example of you, you know, bringing that beef from the supermarket to her home and just, I I think that's super eye-opening and many people only know the beef from the supermarket. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're so excited to dive into this episode and explain what you guys are doing that's different. But before we dive into that um, and hear about all of what you're doing, can you define a couple of terms for our audience? Um, like what does regenerative, regenerative farming mean? And how is that different from conventional farming, sustainable farming, organic farming? Can you explain that for us? So conventional farming is pretty much a very inclusive term for tillage um, using, you know, the things that we can usually get pretty easily from the co-ops and from the companies that we have access to. Sustainable farming is not, um, I, I, I don't know how to best describe that. It's, it's hard to describe what sustainable farming is because it's not organic. They are implementing some similar practices that we do implement. Like some of them do use no-till, but a lot of them use like a strip tillage. Um, they don't they don't get rid of chemicals completely, and they're they're more focused on what sustainability means, and that's staying where we're at. They're not focused on regenerating soil and helping with water quality. I mean, they are, I guess, focused on those as far as water quality. That's something that they do focus on. But when it comes to rebuilding back soil and sequestering carbon, there's a big difference between sustainability and regenerative agriculture. Regenerative's purpose is to exactly do that, is to regenerate the soil, regenerate the ecosystem that you're working on and bring back both the soil health, the water quality, and just the general all over quality of life in that area. Um, and that impacts both the human health down to just the microbiome in the soil and the microbiome in our bellies that affects our overall health, um, which is so important. So the regenerative take and a lot of it comes down to how educated you are on what those terms mean. Uh, because to us, those mean very different things, but to somebody just who has no knowledge of those terms, 
a lot of them look very similar. And when you see something that says sustainable in the store, that looks great. Or when you see something that just says all natural, it looks great. But you, doing stuff like we do, where we direct market our products, we're able to inform the consumers that, you know, we can tell them step by step what we have done. And a big focus of ours is fixing the soil. And that includes the microbiology, the, the fungi that's in the soil. When we have healthy soil, we get healthy plants. Healthy plants leads to healthy animals, and then it leads to a healthy human. So it's all intertwined together. Yep. So that's such a great intro. So let's dive into the soil a bit, because that's what a lot of this has to do with. And so can you explain, because, you know, a few months ago, or maybe a six, nine months ago, I didn't really fully understand what tilling was. So can you share for our listeners what that is and how that process is impacting the soil versus what you guys are doing? So tillage has been broadly used as weed control and breaking up compaction in the soil to promote good growth in the seeds that you're planting. Um, in doing so, you're actually destroying that entire ecosystem underneath the soil. And we have such a very limited understanding of what is happening under our feet um, we didn't understand the consequences of what we were doing with these big heavy pieces of equipment with the chisel plows and the moldboard plowing we didn't know any different um, so now we are seeing the consequences we're seeing that in yields we're seeing that in people claiming crop insurance payouts we're seeing that in failed crops and just overall the quality of the products that we're harvesting is being detrimented by the last 70 years of agriculture. Um, so getting away from that and stopping the destruction to the soil is a very crucial part in starting the regenerative journey back to not damaging the soil seasonally for profit. So I have a question about that when you're talking about tilling the soil, like every you know spring when I'm going to plant my garden, I take my little tool and I dig it through the dirt and I mess it all up. Am I, am I hurting the soil doing that as well? Or are you talking about using like heavy machinery? So everything kind of has a scope. Um, it depends on what your goal is and in planting seeds, doing minimal disturb disturbance of the soil is the goal. So even in our no-till equipment, we have pieces that kind of dig down into the soil to make sure that that seed is planted. Yep. And that's the extent, like we don't want to cause further damage for no benefit to us or the soil. Um, so there is a time and a place for tillage, just not to the extent that we're seeing now. And you're not the first gardener that would ask that question. We've had gardeners come to the classes that we put on and they're, it's really tough to figure out a way to do it without tillage and to control your weeds in your garden. It's hard enough the way it is, especially if you don't want to use any kind of chemicals to do so. I mean, you're going to spend a lot of hours out there on your knees pulling weeds. That's just kind of the beast that you're going to live with. And a lot of people are working really hard, especially in gardening, to figure out a good way that's not destructive and not harmful to your plants or yourself in the soil. Um, we use a lot of straw to help suppress weed weed problems and this year unfortunately because it was so dry and because of soil compaction the weeds got away from us yep. and sometimes we have to just take what we get from mother nature and it is what it is but 
there are a lot of preventative steps that you can take that aren't damaging, such as covering it with using cover crops like clovers and stuff like that in smaller areas. Um, all of that can help promote healthier soils and less weed pressure. And so, yeah, continuing to get into like the soil and we keep hearing about, you know, our soil is depleted and we're not getting the vitamins and minerals that we historically had from, from our farms. Right. And then that's requiring, you know, some people say, oh, well, we need more supplements now because our soil is depleted, but can you dive in and tackle that a little bit further to really understand the implications? So basically what they're saying is the soil is dead. And that's the reason that we're having to go out there and include all these inputs from the co-ops, you know, the fertilizers and different stuff like that. Um, when you're doing all this tillage, you're going through and you're killing the, the micro microbiology that's in the soil. And that it makes it difficult for plants to thrive because that microbiology, all that fungi, it, the plants and the fungi, they're speaking to each other. And when you till it up and you rip it up and you kill all of that, you know, it, you're breaking that line of communication. You're breaking that line of communication. And if you go back 70 years, 70, 50 years, and you, like you said, it's taking all the nutrients out of the food that we eat, but you're seeing like an apple now is 50% less nutrient dense than it was. So it, it's all tied together. And that's the biggest thing, you know, the fungus is the biggest living thing on our planet right now. And by doing all this stuff, we're going through and we're destroying it. And that's our goal right now is to rebuild those connections and everything. It's all speaking to each other. Yep. And what we're seeing right now across the world with all of these different climate crises is pretty much entirely man-made, um, especially what you're seeing in farmland breakdown. This is the onset of desertification. Um, this is what you see when deserts start to spread inland into green areas. Um, we have started the process of killing the soil and we're not giving it the time or the focus to heal. And it will take human intervention to fix the problems that we've made. We can't simply just push it off to the side and hope that it'll fix itself. We have to be proactive in what we're doing, especially farmers. Wow. I have so many questions. <laughs> so, so are you just so I'm understanding the soil is depleted because of explain that again, why is the soil more depleted? Because we have spent so many years continuously breaking down these cycles, continuously breaking down the structure of the soil. It's no longer able to bond. It's turning into sand. And in this kind of habitat, the worms, the bugs, the, all the microbiology in the soil starts to die because the soil is heating up. And once the soil gets to a certain heat or a certain temperature, um, nothing can survive. And that's when you see mass desertification and large dry areas that are uninhabitable because we can't grow anymore. And when you break that cycle for so long, like we're seeing, you start to see changes in the weather patterns and the rain, the rain stops coming. And when it does, it's gonna flood because the soil no longer has the structure left to hold that rain. So you're, it's just a huge snowball effect that catches up very quickly and directly impedes on human health. 
Wow. We're seeing that right now with this drought. I mean, yeah. in the Midwest, particularly in Minnesota, we've got this yes. drought, right? And yep. you know, you you mentioned that when it does, you end up with flooding. But you're like, well, how can you end up go from a drought to a flood? But I can see it. And then you just end up with a runoff, right? Yep. Yep. And how that impacts. I mean, that doesn't just impact us here, but it just keeps going, right? Right. So the best way I can describe it is a, a really healthy soil in rain is like a sponge. And it'll, it'll keep, keep holding water. It'll keep expanding. When we continue to harm the soil like we're doing, it's like flattening that sponge. And nothing's going to go in it. It's simply going to run off of it. And it's going to run faster and faster as it gets farther and farther downhill. And that means everybody at the that's downriver from us, we're on the Mississippi watershed, they suffer the consequences of our actions upriver. We're seeing that happen with the mass amount of water that they've taken from the headlands of the Mississippi here. We're suffering the consequences of their decisions to grant those permits up north. And we're actually in our own town. We have, it's called the Redwood Lake and it has a dam, but back in the seventies and eighties when my dad was younger, and kid in high school, they used to actually go out there and take boats out there. Um, and now with all the runoff and the sediment that has settled there, it's probably ankle deep. So now we have a dredging project that we have to go through, but it's also that the, anything that comes out of it has chemical that's been tied to it. So that all has to get put into a giant holding area where it won't be able to be farmed for, you know, a half-life or whatever the chemical is in there. So we live in a a very good example of the consequences of our own actions because there is such runoff into our own lake of farmland sediment and all of that sediment is carrying the half-life of the chemicals that they sprayed on their products or their harvest for years and years it's now in our lake in the middle of our town and we have to do something about it and we have to contain it we can't just go take that dirt and spread it somewhere it has to be put into containment and it has to be sealed off for a very long time. So that, do, you, the, do you have other farmers around you and do they agree with you? No. No. They, no, you we, don't, or they don't agree. <laughs> they, we have we're in a very big farming community. Um, but we are we're definitely outcasts when it you're, comes you're, to no, you're the pioneers. You're the pioneers. Thank you. yes. yep. <laughs> the, the healthy and, deviants. Yes, you're healthy deviants. <laughs> you're healthy deviant. It's honestly, even in the last four years that I've been helping them, um, we've seen a lot more acceptance in how we are farming. We're seeing a lot more local people that are asking questions and local farmers that are asking questions about how we farm because they see the benefits. Donna Grant show that it can be done and it can, you can still get a good crop farming this way. It doesn't have to be done just a conventional way. And the way that they're farming, you know, we've known about this since the early 1900s. This isn't new technology. This isn't new to anybody. My great grandfather was doing it during the Dust Bowl. And because of that, he was one of the only farmers in the area in that township to survive with any harvest that fall. Wow. And it was a dumb accident. He didn't know what he was doing was technically quote unquote regenerative farming. It was just something that his grandfather had done and he did it and it worked. So he continued doing it. And because of that, my dad was able to stumble through his way, his first few years of experimenting with this stuff. And then we were able to find people like us around the world. And we've successfully met people from every country all over the world. 
And that in and of itself has been an amazing experience. So, so who would you say is doing this, you know, really well right now, if you look at the world and where is the soil the healthiest? I'm just curious. That's a really tough question. I'd, I'd say no one's doing, doing it the best. Um, there's people from, I mean, Australia, South Africa, Europe, uh, obviously us. You're, of- you're seeing people everywhere collectively understand that there is a big problem and yes. we need to do something about it. But until all of us can find a collective means to come together and do this on a bigger scale, that it will financially incentivize other people to continue jumping on board with it. Until we can do that, we're kind of just up shit creek without a paddle. Um, (laughs) Wow. You know, there's only so much that we can do within our means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It seems like it's still a bit of a grassroots effort a little bit. Yeah, entirely. And now with the, the recent reports coming out about the carbon emissions and stuff like that, you're getting more views. You're getting more people paying attention. And now is more important than ever to get people to push for this. This is what needs to be the transition in agriculture. This needs to be the direction we take to start working with nature instead of for money, for profit only. And that's, if that's the only view that we can take, we're gonna successfully ruin our own industry. And yeah. there, are, there are bigger companies that are taking steps to get their producers to start doing this type of stuff. And, you know, other than that, I mean, it's the consumer that's going to drive this change. When people start asking questions about your practices, that's, that's going to change how you want to farm. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of the older generation, they're pretty hesitant when it comes to it. But a lot of people in our generation, millennials, they're, they're very open and they, they want to continue trying these practices. Um, but it's a lot of times the, the older farms and the older generation that's kind of telling them no. So we see a lot of kids, a lot of people our age waiting, waiting for their turn to give it a shot. Oh, well, that's great. I mean, that's hope. That's hope for everyone. And can you dive in? You know, I recently watched the movie Kiss the Ground and it gets into this. So highly recommend all our listeners out there to watch it. It's on Netflix. It's like maybe 90 minutes at best. It's a great movie. You can watch it with your kids too. But talk a little bit about the, you talked about desertification and the impact on global warming. Because that is starting to get people's attention a little bit more. Yep. So that ties back to um, tillage, too. Uh, When we till the soil and leave it for the season, leave it for the winter, whatever, we're leaving that soil black. We're leaving it dark for the sun to heat up. And in doing so, that's damaging that ecosystem beneath the soil even more than just the tillage itself. So it's just adding insult to injury, if you will. And by stopping that tillage and by keeping a living root in the soil year round, that would start to keep the temperatures more sustainable, lower, and a better growing environment for plants. Um, But tillage is a huge part of... And when you're tilling, you're releasing carbon emissions back from the soil back into the atmosphere. Um, and I, I don't know if they touched on that and kiss the ground. I'm pretty sure they did, but yeah, you know, the carbon pull down. It's a big deal when we do this and how much carbon we can sequester doing this. And it's, it's evident if you can come out here and take a spade shovel and dig into the ground, 
you can see that the top two feet of our soil looks like chocolate cake. And that's what you want to see everywhere. You don't want to see grayish dirt. You know, we don't call it dirt. We want it to be soil. But when that stuff's compact and it, you know, it falls apart in your hand, it, it's dirt. And you want to see it. You want it to look like a really good chocolate cake that grandma made. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you're looking for because that's going to hold the most moisture. And that that shows us that it is sequestering carbon. And yeah. that's that's a major, major attraction, it seems like, for everybody else is that the ability that farming this way could lead to so much carbon sequestration that we could eventually reverse it if we have enough acreage doing it. Yep. And and to some of our listeners, this is, you know, you're diving deep right now into, yep. <laughs> I think, some language that people, a lot of our listeners maybe aren't even used to hearing, including yep. myself. And what I'm wondering is on a very basic level, like, what can we do? Like, I want to help. I want, I, I want to make this world a better place. What, what can people do? So what we need to do is hold people accountable, hold big businesses accountable. The, where you spend your money is so important and who you spend it with is so important. And I think the fact that that is not highlighted today in business practice is completely intentional um, so that the consumer simply doesn't understand how much power they have um, because our, our entire market relies on where people are willing to spend their money. And if people refuse to buy from businesses that don't have good practices, that don't hold their own accountability to themselves on what they're doing and their pollution contribution, carbon contribution, that, that all plays into benefiting or directly impacting our global situation um, it, yeah it, it directly comes back down to profit and if they're not seeing a different profit because of their practices directly they're not going to change anything and we've helped other producers get started in selling direct marketing their products you know they've came to us and we've worked with them to get it up and off the ground and help them understand what they need to do and, you know, it's not just about us and our farm and selling our products. We want producers local around here. We can't, there's no way we can possibly feed our entire state. And we know there's tons of producers out there that want to dive into this type of stuff. And it just comes down to that is, you know, holding, like Carly said, holding your producer accountable. You can ask them, you know, how you raised your vegetables. You can ask them how you raised your pork or your beef. Um, that it's all about the consumer pushing and asking questions. Yeah. I love that. It's voting with your dollar, right? It's becoming yeah, educated. Absolutely. And when you start asking questions, you know, like going to your farmer's market and just talking to your local farmers about the, the practices that they have, and that will mm -hmm. create a ripple effect and create demand. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a big, that's something that Marty and I've talked about in other podcasts, you know, don't resort to buying only what's in the grocery store because that's what right. you know and done. Cause then you're just, you know, you're, you're keeping the, the old ways going, right. You're not, yeah. you're not going to have that ripple effect that we all need to make change and look at things a little bit different and really focus on like, not only your health, like, you know, we didn't dive into this a lot just yet, but just the soil has a direct impact impact on what you're growing, which has a direct impact on what the animals are eating and a direct impact on ultimately what we as humans are consuming and the nutrients. Um, in addition to the environment, and we know we have this, you know, global warming crisis, 
Um, so just, you know, every, reminding everyone that they can have a direct impact, like Marnie said, like taking this very big, challenging issue that we have and dissecting it so that each of us as individuals can do one small thing. Yes. Wow. And I, I 100% agree with the reduce, reuse, recycle campaign. Um, and I, I, I have a little slightly different viewpoint on the direction of the world because I am Gen Z and <laughs> it's not been a great outlook on future for my generation. So I see a lot of people that have the anxiety of indiv individualism conquering climate change and how scary it can be. Um, this regenerative agriculture, this is hope. This is a glimmer of hope. This is something that we can do to start retro, being retroactive of what we've done and trying to fix some of, some of the problems um, and just actively taking part in doing stuff in your communities that benefits the people around you and the ecology around you and all of that stuff that's so important. Just going back to your home and working within your community and focusing on that. The world's not terrible. It's not up in flames yet. We've still got time. Just just don't don't lose hope yet. And you know what? No, I love that message. And I think that um I think that like I really this topic was not even on my radar in all honesty until Stephanie brought it to me. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. So I'm really glad we're doing this. I hope you guys keep doing stuff like this because the message needs to get out there, right? Because yeah. I think people aren't even aware. You know, and that's that's half the reason we go to farmers markets is I like to be able to chat with consumers that have no idea. And, you know, I offer it to people that come out and they buy from me. Like if you guys buy and you want to come out and visit our farm and actually see our practices, we will show you firsthand exactly what we are doing and that's a transparency that you will not see for most producers even the ones trying to claim similar practice to what we are and that's you know we go to walmart and you see you know all natural no antibiotics no growth hormones or anything like that or you see other bigger producers trying to sell products direct to the consumer like we are but if you ask them about their practices or you want to come out and visit where you're buying the food from, you're oftentimes going to get turned down. And a lot of the frustrating parts of our business is seeing how, um, how aggressive, aggressively manipulative the labeling is at the store because there's nobody regulating a majority of those labels. So when you're reading um, antibiotic free, that's a marketing ploy because the USDA, they, they test every, or they do t testing throughout the process of those animals getting from that farm to the store. And they screen for antibiotics at all points. Um, that farmer would be slapped with a very hefty fine if there's any sort of residue left in that animal that's going into processing. Um, so the antibiotic free claim that might be um, true for in our business, we use it as our animals don't get treated with antibiotics in the lifetime of their, in their entire lifetime. Um, we have a special feed program for 10 Creek animals. And if they get sick, if they get injured and need to be treated, they drop out of that feed program and they go back to the herd that's grazing in a separate pasture. Um, so they don't 
stay in that program. But that's not to say that antibiotic free in the store means the same thing. That has been manipulated to convince people that there might be a chance that you're buying meat in the store with antibiotics in it. And that is 100% of in, incorrect. So, so just so I understand what you're saying, you're saying no meat has antibiotics in it because the Correct. FDA is testing that ahead of time. Absolutely. Wow. The meat, the meat you buy in the store is 100% will always be 100% residue free of antibiotics. That's not to say that that animal wasn't treated with antibiotics at one point in its life. Okay. But those residue, the residue that's left over from the antibiotic has got to be cycled out of that animal before it goes to any USDA plant to be slaughtered for cons- consumption. And, got it. and the fact that general, the general public doesn't have any understanding of that is so scary to us because other producers know that and they can play on that. That's fear mongering. And that's terrible. Like yeah. that's, that, that's not okay to me as a beef producer, as a farmer, as a mom, I don't want to be manipulated by a company into buying something because I feel like it might be safer from them only to find out that it's completely fabricated to begin with. That it's probably the same product. It just has that, that label on the front of it so that people can pay an extra dollar per pound for it. Mm. And it's really no different than what you're getting. So if you're in the store buying some meat, how do you know how to read the label and know what you're getting is a high quality product? Let's say you can't get to your local farmer and the only place you can shop is in the grocery store. Um, how, how do you figure that out? It's, it's daunting. It's, I would say it's almost impossible for you to figure that out in the store. Um, the, the best and most simple way is, you know, your local butcher or your local your local farmer. It's the only way you can be sure of what you're actually getting. And I don't know, I don't believe we even have the the country of origin labeling anymore on our meat either. So you don't know if it might've been processed in the U.S., but it might've been raised someplace else. I don't believe we have the, the cool act doesn't apply anymore. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I know that there's a lot of change in the legality of the verbiage allowed to be used on packaging. Um, Farmers have been fighting this for a really long time because it ties our hands behind our backs while also letting these bigger companies that hold the contracts for all these animals, they're allowed to profit more because they can manipulate the system. And we can't because we have to still meet these standards Um, and different, different thresholds for rules that they have that apply to us, but don't apply to them. Um, I think finding a an actual fresh meat counter in your community is a really good idea if you can't go to a farmer's market if you can't shop directly from a producer um finding as fresh of a source as possible and asking questions when you go in to buy you know do you know the background on this meat you know do you know any of the practices behind it um just be inquisitive be annoying if you have to they they owe you an answer as a Consumer, you are obligated to receive an answer to your questions. There's no reason that you should be spending money and not receiving an answer if you have a question about it. And, you know, kind of further along this discussion, you know, some people will say, oh, well, buying organic and pasture raised is more expensive. And, you know, I always believe you get, you know, you get what you pay for a little bit. But just thinking about like the taste 
and the appearance of the products. Like I know when we started like several years ago, um, before I found you guys, we've been buying from a local farmer, like eggs and chicken and the eggs are like this bright yellow color and they're really firm. And my kids are like, it's so excited when you see a double yolk and like, they get so into the eggs. Like we get really spoiled. I hate buying eggs at the supermarket. I'm just really, really spoiled, Mar, spoiled now. But can you talk a little bit about how the farming practices impact the quality and like the taste and the nutrients a little bit of what we're actually eating as consumers and why it's worth it to spend, you know, maybe a dollar more? So on the farming side of things, um, our corn is more nutrient dense, has a higher protein density than our county average. We've had it tested. So our practices directly correlate to the nutritional value of our, just the crops that we're growing. So in turn, those crops turn into livestock feed and we're feeding a more nutrient dense feed to our livestock. So our livestock has a more well-rounded nutrient dense diet and that correlates to the products. That, that directly affects how your meat's gonna turn out. Um, protein content and just whatever they're getting, the nutrients from these plants in the pasture, knowing when to graze the animals and knowing how much of the plant to take and not letting them take the certain parts of the plant that we don't want them to have, that all directly affects how that meat's gonna turn out, how it's gonna marble, what it's gonna look like and taste like in the end. Um, and we, we've, worked, we've worked really hard on our grass-fed beef, especially, um, trying to get the flavor to be right. A lot of people stay away from grass-fed because they think it's too gamey, it's too tough. But we've worked really hard trying to, you know, let our animals graze the correct times and feeding them the correct type of grass and feed that we need to get that flavor to match. And it's really close now. And I know Carly, she can tell the difference between grass-fed steak and a corn-finished steak, but I can't. And, you know, she's been raised on it, you know, she's kind of a steak snob. So, <laughs> but, you know, we worked really hard and I've kind of done some tests on some of my more loyal customers and I'll give them a grass fed and I'll give them a corn finished and, or corn finished and grass finished, I should say. And I'll ask them which one is which, and they can't, they can't differentiate the flavor. And that was our goal because yeah. Our, when I first started Ten Creek, we weren't quite to the point where we had perfected that process. People like the corn corn finished cows because of the taste of the fat. Um, and we were running into the problem that we couldn't get these grass fed cows to finish correctly um, to keep that that flavor in the fat, right. that buttery, you know, just melt in your mouth steak flavor. Um, and in the few years that we've been in business working really diligently checking the pH in our soils and the sugars in our grasses and stuff like that we've slowly been able to perfect it yeah so we're going to be launching our first round of grass finished yep we're getting ready to pick up our first round of completely grass finished and that'll be available to buy online pretty soon um but yeah like Carly said it's been definitely a learning curve and it takes a lot longer to finish an animal on just grass so then that does raise the price and, you know, there's really nothing we can do about it. The best, the only thing I can think for in the future of lowering the price is if more consumers are buying local and we know that consumers are going to come, we can lower the price and do a larger quantity, you know, and that's what these big box stores are able to do is they run such a high volume that they can undercut us by two, $3 a pound on a lot of products. Right. And, and doing that, they, 
are contributing so much more to the bad side of what we're facing, you know, those products traveled how far on a semi or a train or a plane, how many carbon emissions were put out just in that process, thinking about how far your food travels to get from the producer to your plate is so important. And I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see a mass exodus of the food system being as centralized as it is. Um, I think people are going to very much buck the insecurity of what's happened in the last two years to, you know, being able to walk into the grocery store and actually buy food when you need to. People were scared during the lockdown and yeah. not being able to have instant access to food that instills fear into people enough to decentralize the food system to an extent. And if we keep going, your food doesn't need to travel more than 300 miles. Eating within your seasonal geographical menu, that's very good for you. Yes. And to bring, yeah. And to bring it back around a little bit to what we had started with, like the flavor and stuff like that, when you're talking about eggs, especially, um, buying them local like you do and you have been, it's great because um, you can go to the store and you can see that it's a free range. Um, but we know firsthand that even when they are labeled like that, it might be just a sliver of truth to that, what they're saying on those packages. Their qualifications are a little bit faster and looser than ours. Yeah. Um, but like when you're talking about the, the yolks being the color of my shirt, um, that's definitely a good way to tell what that animal has been eating. Um, but I do have customers, they'll ask me like, what do you feed them? Like, I know I need to know exactly what you feed them and we don't use any kind of soy. Yep, we're a hundred percent soy free. And uh, that was a goal that we set for ourselves because we had so many customers inquiring about it. Um, that was a need that we felt we needed to meet. So over the winter, last winter, we were able to cut out all the soy out of all of our feed. And that we're able to do that because we produce our own feed. So we're able to produce a feed with a higher protein content to the point of which we don't need that extra soy protein. Um, and it's, it's been interesting. Mm -hmm. I was a little nervous to do it, but we've had great results with it. Yeah. Well, I love hearing this is such a science, like even talking about oh, yeah. what type of grass, you know, and making sure that, that your animals are eating and rotating the livestock so that they're only eating, you know, the, the more protein rich parts of the grass. I mean, I had no idea. I just thought grass fed beef was grass fed beef. And that's what I've been buying. But I would tell you, we're, we're, if you need to do any more taste testing with the grass finish and the corn finish, where I have a lot of um, uh, meat eaters <laughs> in my house, my, the boys in my family, especially. So um, if, you need, if you need any tasters, let me know. Yeah. Um, so pivoting a little bit, can you share maybe like a fun or interesting story that you guys have had based on all your experience, especially Carly on the farm, maybe like one of your customers or neighbors or some, you know, kind of story about your regenerative farming practices? Uh, one of my favorite stories was my first year in business. Um, I had just had my daughter, my first daughter, and we had been in business for maybe two months. And a family friend of mine had call, called me off of her landline. She was an elderly lady and she asked if she could buy some hamburger from us. Um, and I was really surprised because I'd known her growing up and she had never eaten beef before. I'd never seen her eat beef. So I thought she was vegetarian. Um, 
and she bought like 15 pounds of it. So I dropped it off. And about a week later, she called me back and she's like, this is, this is the most amazing experience. I haven't been able to eat meat in about 20 years because she gets such bad acid reflux and just upset stomach, heartburn, the whole nine from products that she's been able to buy locally. Um, so she just gave up on it. She stopped trying to eat anything that was of protein of meat, like just all together. And she called back and she said, this was amazing. I cooked it up and I didn't, I didn't feel nauseous when I was cooking it from the smell. Like it smelled the way that it used to smell when I was a kid. And that made my heart so happy. Um, because I hear that from the older generations all the time when they buy our products, it smells like it did when I was a kid. And that <laughs> means we're getting really close. We're getting really close to where we need to be. Uh, and her, she's become a continuous customer. She comes back all the time, but she, it, that experience just, it, it me, meant the world to me. And that's why we've continued with this business through all of the ups and downs that we've had to fight through. And, you know, maybe initially we didn't see how important it was for our community to have access to this and stories like that of what are, what led us to wanting to work with schools, wanting us wanting to work with the immersion school that's on our reservation nearby. Um, but like stories like that, that's the reason we want to do it is we believe everybody should be able to have that type of experience. And we've had people with autoimmune issues who buy our products. Um, you're, we had a family member from down by Nebraska. Yep. Um, their significant other had a celiac. lot of celiac disease. And she bought, I think, couple probably around 100 pounds of meat to drive back to nebraska um that was right before the pandemic yep and you know we've had people reach out from as far as maine all the way up to california um and we you know i want to help them i want to get them our products i want them to try it out but it's just logistically right now we can't do it but it's just stories like that are what perpetuates us that keeps us wanting to keep going so in those situations, all we can do if we're out of the rage to ship to them is continue to promote education and try to direct them towards a more local person, somebody closer to them, because, you know, we want to be a successful business, but we still want to stay within our context. And that means selling to people who are local to us and helping facilitate the relationship for people farther away to get in contact with local producers to them. That's amazing. Um, I love all those stories. I, I really love what you guys are doing. And we've covered so much in this episode. And um, some of it seems a little bit overwhelming, but yet it's, it's really simple, right? Like, basically, a lot of it is education and just asking the right questions. Um, so what would be like one small action that our listeners or that we can take that would collectively have like a big impact on our environment and kind of our livelihood and generations to come. Um, what do you have, what advice do you have for people listening to this who may be just hearing these terms for the first time today and they, you know, want to, want to take action? Look into the little things. Um, I know. So just for starters, if they want, if they've heard this and they want to learn more about it, there's a, a website they can go to. It's called Soil Health Academy. And 
there you'll find Regen 101. And that's going to kind of touch on a little bit of everything that we've talked about. And it does it in a way that it's not overwhelming. And when we're talking to other producers, um, you know, it can be overwhelming when we're throwing all of, the, all of this information at them. And that's an issue that they have had in the classes that they do. And they do very intense classes. And it's a lot of producers that show up and we were, they were having producers leave and you could tell they were fried with all the information that they had. So they came out with Regen 101 um, on their website. And that's a great way for anybody to go and research this information. And they do have a lot of free videos. Um, a lot of these guys like Gabe Brown, Ray Archuleta, um, Dr. Alan Williams, they have videos on YouTube that are great, you know, stepping stools into regener regenerative agriculture. And you, I mean, Gabe Brown, he's probably one of the most influential people in regen egg. Yeah. He testified in front of Congress. Um, he was in the documentary, uh, Kiss the Ground, and then Ray Archuleta, Reverend Ray, he is so good at taking, he's kind of like the Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> of regen egg. He's yeah. very good at making it palatable for everybody. Um, so the best thing is just kind of get off of TikTok and then get onto something else and <laughs> look at. That's, that's a shot at me because I like TikTok. I have used it's a, it. As... It's actually a great resource. There is a lot of regenerative farmers on there. I there you it. go. Yeah, She's on there. So there's one that you know, she, she sends them to me constantly. Um, but, but I mean, there is good resources and listening to these people and just getting out there and Google, it's a great tool. I mean, that's the Google best we can do. Google and YouTube. Yeah. Yep. Educate your, educating yourself is going to be the most important thing. And a, a smaller act is if you're a homeowner or if you're renting and you've got a lawn or a backyard, look at do just... A, do a pollinator patch in your lawn. And then research what grass is currently growing in your yard. Is that a northern hemisphere grass? Is that native to Minnesota? Is there maybe something that could be more... <laughs> um, more natural for the area, less yep. less water intake, more carbon sequestration or sequestration. Because you want to have things that are going to thrive in the environment they're intended to. And when you're taking like the Kentucky bluegrass and trying to grow that up here, it's not going to do as well. And it's going to take more and you're fertilizing your lawn and it's not going to hang and, on. And in that you're not huh. even promoting soil health in your own. That's a way that you can promote soil health in your own home, in your own, on your own property is just look at what you can do. I know a lot of people live within HOAs and certain city limits, um, but I've seen a lot of people converting their entire lawns to certain clovers, um, mm -hmm. a, a variety of grasses that are native to Minnesota mm -hmm. that promote the butterflies and all of the pollinators. You know, there are small steps that you can take within the city limits that could directly benefit the ecosystem that lives just around you directly. Okay, I have never heard that before. I am like so curious now what kind of grass I have. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, I yeah, that's just very eye-opening. Yeah, me. but so. too. If you, if you think of how much rain falls out here and how much rain falls in the city, you guys having a lot more cement and a lot more buildings, there's gonna be a significant more a significant amount of rain moving over the surface area than there will be out here because we've got more area that can sponge it up and collect it. 
Hmm. So using and utilizing those small chunks of soil and trying to get those as healthy as possible, that can help hold some of that water in the ground instead of in the street, in the gutter, in the storm drain, you know, all of those frequent flood zones within the cities. What is a pollinator patch? So that'd be like a mixture of seed that's going to bloom into different grasses and flowers that really promotes, you know, a habitat for all your pollinators, your butterflies, honeybees, different moths, grasshoppers. I want one of those. So do I. How do I get one? I know. (laughs) Pollinator patches are extremely important right now because pollinators are in danger because of how much chemical we have used overall. It's damaging to their ecosystem. So providing um, pollinator patches is what, what we call them. A lot of people call them prairie patches or, you know, um, just grassy areas that have flowers. Clovers are really good habitats for butterflies. Um, there's a ton of different option options and a lot of resources online to help you find the plants that are good for your region, your area you know, what's available to you. And you can literally go, you can probably go on Amazon and order a bag of pollinator mix. Oh my gosh. Plants that are specific for that purpose. So, you know, we we get them in 500 gallon totes, (laughs) but you guys, guys (laughs) there are options for people who aren't farmers and aren't gardeners. There's, there are plenty of options to do small things for yourselves that can make a big impact in the end. Yeah. So I'm fascinated and I have a kind of an unrelated question, but Marnie mentioned gardening earlier and, you know, some years you have like a bunch of tomatoes grow and then other years we've had really bad. So I'm sure we had really bad soil. So there's a lot of things that each of us can do individually. Like, you know, I love having my tomatoes and my herbs and, you know, small garden here. Um, But there are some just thinking back to like a few years when we just had nothing. And I we would blame it sometimes on the bunnies, but I think it's really the health of the soil, right? Yeah. <laughs> In my own backyard. So, and that's just a fun thing for a lot of parents out there. They can do with their kids and just how you're educating yeah. your kids, kids about. They absolutely love being able to go down to the garden and pick cherry tomatoes and just eat them right there. Oh, and yes. They're, they're almost as bad as the rabbits are. Incorporating yeah. nature with your family is so important. And yeah. a lot of our customers have utilized that to get their kids back outside. You know, let's go, let's go to Carly and Cody's farm to see the cows or drive by so we can see that stuff. Yep. That's, that's a relationship that we love to foster with our customers is getting them back to nature getting them outside, getting them to come see our farm, even that, that, that's, that's the dream for us. That's fun for us. I'd love to come see the farm. I was I've, just going to say, actually, we need a road trip. We would, we yeah. So, I've, I've be never been happy. to like a real working farm in my entire life. So I, I, we really like the idea of pushing more towards the ag tourism side. Um, and like kind of having more exhibits and more learning stuff here at the farm. Um, Hopefully that's a, that's we're, a goal that's achievable soon. We are working on it. We're trying to kind of devise a plan that, you know, we could do and get a five-year plan where we can hopefully start bringing more and more people out. And we've had inquiries from churches that are, you know, in the Metro, you know, deep into the city where these kids have never seen, maybe not have, haven't even been out of the twin cities. And we want, you know, the option to have them come out with a bus for a few hours 
and just learn a little bit about what we are doing and then actually see where their food is coming from. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. so powerful. I mean, that in yeah. and of itself really helps to solve so many of honestly of our world's problems, you know, just getting back to nature. And yep. like you said, understanding where your food coming from comes from and eating nutrient rich local food. And yeah, we could go on and on. That's for another oh, topic yeah. for another day. Right. <laughs> but um, keep us posted because we want to come yes, visit. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. My kids would love to come. Um, so where can people find you guys? Um, and we'll link up all this in the show notes, but if you just want to share all the places, social media, your website, and then just how to purchase from you. So we have a website, Um, On there, you can find our tags to our Instagram and our Facebook. Both you can find under 10 Creek Range. Um, I have a personal TikTok where I show us kind of going throughout our days with the chickens and cows and stuff like that. Um, and that's Carl's K-A-R-L-S underscore 1021. <laughs> um, and then we post regular updates. We try to keep everything kind of informative and up to date on the Instagram and Facebook. Yep. And then the, the locations, like, you know, we're in that uh, Wooddale Park in Edina every two weeks. Um, we get to Prior Lake every two weeks. And then we do ship, like you said earlier, um, throughout the state of Minnesota. So that's another great way to get in contact with us. And it's also, if you know, any of that stuff doesn't work, we can also, you know, meet somewhere. We can do whatever you... Yeah, feel free to reach out to us. We are happy to work with our customers. Yep. We we are happy to meet the needs of people. Who- and we, we also do uh, buying parties. So if you have a group of friends that want to get together, I'll make a special trip for you and we can get together and you can go through all the freezers and see what looks good to you. Awesome. And I know Carly, you're working on some non-food items as well. Yes. I am currently working on a line of tallow candles and they will actually be, um, tallow is rendered down cow fat from suet. Um, and this is 100% from our own animals. So we are trying to get to a 100% no waste system. And this is one of my ways of trying to get there. So I will be launching a line of tallow, tallow candles in the fall here. Um, they'll be available on our website as well. And they're a clean burn product. Um, all of our products are geared towards the regenerative and sustainably minded people. So that's where we're at. Awesome. That's, that's really cool that you're getting, trying to get to that zero waste. That's so cool. Um, and I know that we need to wrap up this conversation, but one question we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Um, the art of living, I think it is a full incorporation of everything that we're doing with our business and um, just trying to be the good in the world and make the world, our, even our little corner of the world here, a better place. I think it goes much more, much deeper than just physical health and at least, you know, it's mental health and all of this stuff is tied together. You know, you're putting good things in your body. You're going to feel better physically. You're going to feel better mentally and, you know, just happiness. That's the art of living well is trying to achieve that for yourself. That's beautiful. That's perfect. Thank you. Love that. Love what you guys are doing. I'm so glad you came on the show today. I learned so much personally. I hope our listeners learned as much as we did. 
Yes. Thank I, you so much for having us. Yes. Well, thank you. And just thank you. congratulations on all you're doing to like yeah. literally you're doing so much good for your community and spreading this message is going to have a ripple effect on, you know, the entire country and the entire planet. So we hope so. Thank yeah. You. Thank you both. Have a great day. You, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.